And hello and welcome to this episode of Haunted Histories with yours truly, Penny Griffiths Morgan, the historian with the Mostorian. I think somebody called me the other day, but anyway, I'll have to think of a better tagline to use. How have you all been? It's been a minute, hasn't it, since we last spoke. I'm, I hope you enjoyed the, the last podcast with the wonderful Dr. Kate Sherrill. If you haven't had a listen to it, go back and check. There's loads of other podcasts to have a have a, a gander at if you're busy, if you're in the car, if you're walking the dog, if you're in the gym. Loads to do, loads to do. But what have I been up to? Well, it's been it's been a little bit quiet. There's been a lot going on behind the scenes. Um, some of you may have seen me recently in one of the Celebrity Help My House is Haunted episodes when I was the historian for Jake Quickenden's experiences that he was having just in Boxstead, just outside of Colchester. I can tell you that one was a doozy to research because I didn't actually know what was happening to him. And to find that information out about that Civil War soldier, where he lived, and Jake isn't from Essex. Yeah, Jane Harris did let out a few sweary words when we were talking. So that's how good that episode was. So go and check it out. Now, my guest tonight... Um, is someone who I've actually been following for a while. He probably doesn't realise because I'm a very clever stalker like that. It's the wonderful Mr. Daryl Marston. Did I pronounce your surname right, Daryl? Is that right? Yes, you did. Good. You nailed it. Good. So so Daryl and (laughs) I... Thanks for having me. Sorry, what was that? Thanks for having me. You're very, very welcome. You're very welcome. Now, Daryl and I are both going to be appearing at the Festival of the Unexplained in September, the 15th to the 17th at Bosworth Hall. So I do want to get a a plug-in for that, because before we start our interview proper, Daryl, have you ever been to the UK before? I have not. No, it's going to be my first, yes. Oh, wow. So what what are you looking forward to experiencing in my home country? I think the culture, uh, you know, being the country is so old compared. I mean, you have houses over there that are older than the United States. Uh, I mean, (laughs) just that 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 alone, yeah, just kind of blows my mind. But uh, yeah, I I just get over there and check out the culture and the way you guys do things and the food and just just example, you know. Yeah. So yeah. Oh well, we could do history. I mean, you want history? You just come and talk to me. I can. I am, Absolutely. I am, well, I, I'm kind of the, they've, they've decided I am now the festival historian. So oh, whether I like cool. it or not, I have to do the history slots. Um, I mean, if, as long as they feed me and give me loads of coffee, I'm normally right. But to give you a starter, the hotel we're going to be staying at, Bosworth Hall Hotel, there's been a hall of some description on that site for over 500 years. Yeah, I read that somewhere. Yeah, or, or someone was telling me about that. Yep. Yeah. And then just up the road from there, you've got you had something took place called the Battle of Bosworth Field, which was when Richard III was um, killed in battle by Henry Tudor, who became Henry the Seventh. Oh wow! There's there's a lot going on in that neck of the woods, and uh, we're going to be doing a mystery history tour on the Friday. And the only people who know where we're going are myself, Karen, Rachel, and the coach driver. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So, and I might be getting some of you guys to be taking on little guest slots for me while I do do the talk because I don't like to just talk at people. I get you to join in. Yeah, absolutely. So, I'm yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> so it'll be an experience <laughs> for you. I think the thing that gets most Americans when they come over is um, the language difference. 
Yeah. One of the things that um, I know when we had the wraith chasers over last year, they couldn't get over the fact that if you say to someone, give me a fag, <laughs> it means give me a cigarette. Right. Um, yeah, I, I knew that. Yeah, yeah they yeah. quite like that one. What was another one that, I'm trying to think of another one that got them. Um, yeah, bin it. If you bin it, it means you put it in the trash. Oh, bin it. Okay, like a bin. Right, gotcha. Bin, yeah. bin it. There's yeah. little things like that. So you'll you'll have a lot of fun learning the difference. I think I'll do okay. I'll get through it. I'm sure you will. You're a smart yeah. man. I'm sure you will. Yeah. So apart from the fact that you and I are both going to be appearing at the Festival of the Unexplained in September, um, along with lots of other great guests, uh, do you know anyone else on the lineup? I know Schrader, Dave Schrader. You, you know Dave, yeah. Yeah, I know Dave, um, and I, I know Dan Class. Uh, I, you know, I've known Dan for ooh, seven or eight years now. Um, like right after he probably uh, purchased uh, Hinsdale's when I kind of, you know, was I talked I talked to him through online a lot of times, and uh, I actually got to meet him about two years ago in person. Yeah, yeah at um, Jersey Perry. He's such yeah. a sweetheart. I got on with him really really well i thought he didn't like he, he's very um i don't know if he was like this with you but he's a people watcher he'll sit back and just watch everyone for quite a while and i mm. thought oh he's not very friendly and uh by the end of it we were nattering away and everything yeah else. um rob rob thompson do you know have you met him before rob i've not met rob no? i'm friends with him on social media uh, he he always you know says thanks and congratulates uh, congratulates me on stuff. So yeah, yeah, I I can't wait to meet him as well. Yeah, he's a character. He's a character. Is our Rob? It's uh, it's going to be a really good lineup. And if if you're interested in, I know there are definitely day tickets still available for the Saturday and the Sunday. Head on over to the Festival of the Unexplained and grab your ticket before they all go. Now, Mister Marston. The yes. main reason I got you on the show is apart from the fact you are a very interesting individual and I've seen you on Ghost Hunters and obviously knowing that you were going to be on the same bill. Well, we're basically, we're basically spending a weekend in a hotel together, mate. I mean, yeah. you know, best to get to know yeah. each other first. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and I'd also noticed you've, um, let's just say without, well, this does sound rude. You've broken your book writing virginity, haven't you? Yes, I have. Um, it, it's, it's been a long time coming. Uh, people have been asking me, no, no pun intended. Um, it's, uh, people have been asking me for five or six years to write this book. And I finally, when COVID hit, I had some time on my hands and I sat down one night and I just started writing. And next thing I know, I started flowing out. Um, I'd never written a book before. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know anything you know, about how to, you know, to, to lay it out or anything, but I, I did it. And, uh, I, uh, then I finished it in about th probably two and a half, three months. Well, I thought I finished it, put it that way. And uh, I started, you know, and I sat on it for a couple months, not knowing what to do with it after I'd written it. And I was like, that was, you know, around, you know, fall of that year. And so I started pitching it around to different publishing companies and a couple of them got back to me and they wanted, you know, wanted this. So I finally, I narrowed it down to the one I wanted to go with, which was uh, Llewellyn uh, Publishing Company and um, great people. They really wanted to work with me and do some stuff. And then they, you know, they got the book and they're like, okay, we love it, but we want you to add another 20,000 words. So I'm like, so I'm thinking I'm done. I'm like, okay. And, but, 
here's the thing is you got X amount of days to get it to us. <laughs> so, yeah. So I sat down. They, they, in all fairness, they gave me about five weeks. Uh, so I, I sat down and just plugged it out, got it back to them. And, uh, and it was kind of, you know, last year or so, you know, going back and forth with, you know, editing and, and, you know, having to get people to sign stuff and, you know, sign off because of, you know, different people who are in the book and um, just, you know, diving all the T's and you're know, crossing the T's, dotting the I's and all that stuff. And finally, you know, about a week and a half, two weeks ago, they said, hey, we're going to do the uh, the early release of it, you know, where you can buy it, you know, in advance for six months. And then uh, September 8th is when she's dropping. Yeah. Ooh. And you're going to be having, go have copies with you. I'm supposed to, yes. aren't you? Yeah. 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 So. Ah, but I mean, writing isn't your background, is it? I, I mean, no, your, no. your background very... is—you've got quite an interesting background, really. Yes, Carnage, Mister Carnage. Yeah, Mister Carnage. Yeah, I have heard that name a long, long twenty years. Well, you can thank an interview I read with Mustafa for this, but you were a, a professional wrestler for a while. Uh, for ten years, yeah. What? That's not. That's a long. Wow. Yeah. How how did you get into that? By accident. I was <laughs> um I grew up on it, of course. Or, you know, as a kid watching it. And I just graduated high school and I was with a buddy of mine and we went to this local wrestling show, you know, at a high school. And um we we're sitting in the front row. There's probably maybe maybe fifty people at this thing. Or if you know, it's just a bunch of guys and they're wrestling and uh after the match, we, we loved it. We thought it was the greatest thing ever, man. We were like, you're 18, 17, 18 years old. We're all excited. So we're this, we saw this guy after the show. He was the promoter. And we're like, hey, how do we get into this? How do we do this? Next thing I know, like three months later, we're, <laughs> we're wrestling. <laughs> and it just, it grew from there. We just started traveling and doing it all around the, you know, the States and, uh, you know, different independent shows. And uh, it was, uh, I did that for almost 10 years, yeah. Wow, that is, yeah. that is very, very cool. Yeah, from uh, you're the first of... wrestling ghost hunter I've spoken to, I must admit. Oh, really? Oh, <laughs> yeah, from May of 92 until January of 2002, I believe it was February 2002. Yeah, wow, yeah. no, that is uh, because I mean, it's not an easy job, is it? It's... No, 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 it's not. It's a, I mean, I think I. You get hurt, you know, because, you, you know, you're in there, you're getting bumped around and thrown around a ring and everything. I think I got hurt more during practicing than I ever did, like, during an actual match. Because uh, you're always trying new stuff and you're doing it with some people who don't know what they're doing sometimes and they're new at it. Um, but, yeah, it, it was fun. It was a great time. Yeah, it's uh, it just was it got to the point where it wasn't my thing anymore and I uh, had to had to grow up <laughs> so yeah but it's still an experience that it was you it had. Wasn't, yeah and i mean from there you went you became a con contractor a builder yes you businesses and everything else. Well, i was doing that uh, during the same time so right. i was doing contracting um during the same time i was wrestling there for a while yeah so how was your background in contracting and building and everything else helped becoming a paranormal investigator 
Well, I think with you know, with the contracting part it would be the big thing is you, you, you're learning your know, buildings, you're learning houses and homes and stuff. You're learning the noises they make and why they make them, and and you know the sounds and things of that nature. Because you know, a lot you know, a lot of paranormal when it comes to paranormal world has to do with sounds, mm. sounds and noises and things of that nature. So a lot of times you can dismiss stuff pretty easily. You know, during an investigation, when you hear it, when someone else might think, oh, my God, what is that? You know, it's a, it's a ghost when it's just the, the HVAC kicking on or, you know, or a pipe leaking or, you know, a pipe making a noise because it's got air in the lines, things of that nature. So I think it's helped me a lot in that aspect. Yes. I mean, I've had the opposite experience, believe it or not. I mean, I'm, I'm not contractor, but my husband is a builder and okay. his friends are builders. And I'd uh, I'd always been told that if you hear the pipes creaking, it's normally because they're cooling down because they've turned the heating off or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I was at an old workhouse, um, poor house in uh, Norfolk in East Anglia. And I was sat on my own in this room and I kept hearing the pipe making like a clicking noise, like someone was tapping on it. I put it down to, oh, it was just they turned the heating off because the museum was shut at that point. They probably turned it off earlier that day, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I spoke to them, I said, when did the heating get turned off? And they said, oh, we haven't had it on for over a month. <laughs> and I okay. thought, okay, maybe it's still the pipes, big place, old pipes. And I spoke to a family friend of ours, <clears throat> excuse me, who's a heating engineer, plumber. And I said to him about the pipes and he went, they won't be making that noise after that long. He said, if they right. were making a noise, that wasn't the pipes. Right. Whereas I automatically <laughs> assumed it would be. And yeah. I think it was actually... And listening back to the recording I did of it, it was taps in relation to my questions. So, oh, yeah, so that's almost, yeah. So it can work both ways. It can debunk stuff, but it can also say, well, actually, there something doesn't add up here. Um, yeah, yeah. So it can work both both ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it could. I mean, if, if something's trying to communicate with you, you know, by banging on a pipe or knocking on a wall or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. If you're asking them to do that, you're trying to, you know, make community, if you're trying to communicate with them and you're asking them to do things and that's all they know how to do because they can't answer you, you know, you know, audibly where they can, you know, you can hear them. Yeah, I can see that. But yeah, so it was interesting that uh, someone who's got no knowledge of the paranormal was able to say to me, no, if the pipe's been turned off for that long, they wouldn't still be making the noises of pipes. Yeah, wouldn't have air in the lines and stuff. Yeah, that's right? it, yeah. So how long have you been doing the paranormal work? Since 2000 and late 2005, yeah. Right, because, um, I mean, most people have got a reason why they get into it. I, I've always been interested in it, but it was a weird experience when I was about eight or nine that I had that made me think definitely there's something out here. But has anything ever happened to you that's changed the way you view it? Yeah, um, I think the way I, a couple of things. Um, First would be what I wrote the book about, um, this place called the House of Wills in Cleveland, Ohio, is is the reason I wrote this book because it almost made me quit investigating because of what happened to me. Because I mean, up to that point, um, you're t- this is back in this, when the investigation was in 2015. You know, up to that point, I've been investigating for 10 years, and I've only investigated like the the good stuff. You know, I hadn't I hadn't ran into anything like this. Mm. Yeah, you, know, you might run into something every once in a while. You know, making you know something pissed off. 
Um, but this is, was completely different. This was something I've never experienced before. And um, I walked into it with, you know, with blinders on, not knowing what I was walking into. And and it played havoc. It, you know, after leaving there, especially, it played havoc on my life for a good, you know, two or three months. Wow. Where I almost, you know, quit. You know, I went through a, a, a bout of, you know, depression because of it and stuff of that nature where I just, like, I, I didn't, I just didn't want to do it anymore. And, and it took a lot and took me reaching out to some people in the field and friends of mine in the field to, to, to get rid of it out of my life, to get it out of my house. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, it's all in the book. It's uh, it, it was a crazy situation. It's the whole reason I wrote the book. And it's you know, there's things in that you know that happened that I can't explain to this day. Um, and um, it's things that you only see in like Hollywood movies. Okay, yeah. we'll we'll, yeah. we'll get onto that in a minute. Um, so I know I know that you tragically lost a child. Yes. In 2016, your son. A year later, yeah. yeah. Um, how did that affect your outlook? That, that, I'd just gotten back to the point where I, I felt okay investigating um, when, uh, when I lost Nick. And that took me, that took me in a different direction where I went from being... Uh, I don't know, more, you know, not, not so aggressive as a, an investigator, but more of someone who kind of just stands back. And I'll, I, uh, I, I go as, as a complete observer these days mm -hmm. uh, where I observe what's going on, especially because I do a lot of events and appearances. Like I just came back on one last night where I'm with the, the general public. And I go in and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm showing them what, you know, some, some of these people have been doing it for years. Some of them have been doing it longer than I have. And some of them are just, you know, new beginners. And I'll go in there with them and I just sit back and watch and I try to show them what, how I do things where I'm on. I sit back and I just observe and I'll ask questions and things of that nature. But as far as, you know, trying to provoke or anything like that, never, no. Um, those days are over. And I think that's where, with the house of wills what happened to me there that changed me in that direction but when i lost nick it changed me more to where i was trying to actually figure out what a haunting is mm -hmm. yeah it wasn't just about going in and getting scary anymore and having all that you know i've been it, not all about just having fun it was more going in and trying to reinvent you know try to 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 reinvent what happened and how it happens and why it happens, not just, you know, okay, a location's haunted. Oh, that's great. It's haunted. But why is it haunted? Mm. Haunted. And who's haunting it? And, you know, just on down the line. And, and that's where I'm at now when it comes to investigating. That's where I've been for several years now, a good five or six years. Yeah. So it the, the, the change in you perhaps was you were looking more for explanations and answers than just experiences. Yeah. Yeah. It went from just having experience um you know going out and trying to get your you know get get your scare in mm. to actually okay that was cool okay yeah something moved i saw it i caught a an apparition but why mm. why did I, why is it here what's it want you know and there's this whole gamut of questions that come with it and that's where the direction i went in 
Yeah. Not, I know there's, yeah, there's, there's proof of life after death. I've seen it. I've been there. Um, it's trying to, and it's not that I care if I prove it to anybody else, but putting it out there and letting other people see it is kind of like my focus these days. Like, okay, guys, I love taking the skeptic or the the person who's never had anything. And you always get one of them, especially at one of the events or appearances and getting to the point where they walk out of there six hours later, seven hours later, and they're a believer mm-hmm. because of what they experienced uh, or they're in that, you know, they're heading in that direction at least. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. I did that to my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I My dad is a mechanical engineer. So he's got a degree in mechanical engineering from Bruno University. He's an incredibly intelligent guy, very scientific, everything. And he always used to be a bit of uh, my sort of paranormal interest. And I was doing an investigation at an old US Air Force base called RAF Tiburon. Gosh, five years ago now, six years ago. And he'd cleared it for me to go there because it's where he, it's an amateur flying club now. And he he was one of the directors of the club. And so he said, yeah, all right, go and see what you find. And using a spirit box, we had a name, a date. And there was something else that came through. I can't remember what it was. It's a while ago now. Anyway, I wasn't going to tell him because he's so like about it. But my husband did. He was telling, oh, yeah, Penny got this, this and this. And I was there. I heard it. And my dad started looking up flight records. And on the very day we were there, back in, it was 1944, I think, or 43, the guy whose name he'd given us and his, there was other references he'd given us, he'd vanished. He, he'd not come back from a mission. Oh. And it correlated. You didn't even have to shoehorn it in. It. It, it, the date was the same. The and after that, my dad's been like, "There's something in this, isn't there?" And I went, <laughs> "I I don't know. It may not be a ghost, so to speak. It might be some kind of timeline crossing, or I don't right. know. But there is something. And 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 the fact that the spirit box, the minute I stepped out onto the old runway, all the voices were American coming through. I stepped back into the clubhouse." English really things like that um oh. yeah it was it's actually the it was where the actor Jimmy Stewart was based okay. for a while during World War II this oh, cool. so um yeah I and, and from that even though dad didn't actually experience it because we gave him the information he was like how did you know this I didn't even I've done all the um crash records for the club for for the 445th I right. didn't know this guy how did you know and it was like I didn't. It came through, and so, huh. so yeah. That that was that's probably one of my proudest moments. Turning my very skeptical dad into a hmm, this right. isn't all rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. It is, yeah. So now, whenever I tell him something I'm researching, he's like, "Right, what do you want me to do? What would you like me to research for you?" He loves right. it. <laughs> he gets straight on it. He doesn't even question me anymore. <laughs> This 80-year-old former engineer. <laughs> right. Um, so, I mean, you, you kind of turned losing Nick into something that I would say is quite positive, changing your outlook, coming for, through more as an, a more of an empathetic investigator, someone who wants to learn as opposed to get their rocks off on an investigation. Right. How did Ghost Hunters come about? Uh, another, it's another, uh, like, a Forrest Gump moment. Um, very just happened i was doing like i had my own podcast for several years um the american ghost hunter show 
And that's where they actually, they found me on there. Um, they came across one of my videos. Um, they were looking for someone. And next thing I know, I get, I'm getting phone calls from people, you know, producers out in LA um, wanting to interview me for a spot. They didn't tell me it was ghost hunters. They just want you know, interview me for a show. So I did it. I did a couple like Zoom and Skype calls. Next thing I know, I'm flying out to L.A. and sitting in front of them and them doing a face to face with me and um, out there for a couple of days, came back and then they offered me the job. Yeah. Wow. So when was yeah. that? How long ago was that? It was um, early 2019. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've watched quite a few of those episodes. I do enjoy them. I yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, I must admit, I, I probably will have to rewatch some and then quiz you on a few of them in September <laughs> when we get a chance to speak. Because there's a few I was going, well, did they do this? And did they look into this? And did they consider this? I can't help myself. So I'm obviously a big believer in looking at the history of things to find corroboration in the experiences. If we look at the House of Wills, obviously, what you're, I mean, what's your new book called? It's called The Horrors of the House of Wills. Horrors of the House of Wills. Yeah. How much of the history, and just remember you're talking to a historian here, how much of the history did you look into for the book? A lot of it. And and, and, and I've been looking into the history of this location for many years, not just for the book. Um, and there's a lot of, of the history that even you cannot find in the archives, like of the city, the city archives. Um, which is, you know, Cleveland. And, you know, it's, it's been through many owners. Um, it had been rumored to be many different things over the years. What I was able to find, which I kind of knew already uh, just through rumor, that um, it was, um, the building was built by a 32nd degree Mason, mm -hmm. German Mason. Um, he was also, um, he was also a um, member of the Knights Templar. Uh, that Fred Frederick Steibinger? Is that his name? Yeah. Steibinger? Yeah. Yeah. Was, uh, yes. Um, he was also a um, a member of the Knights Templar. Um, he's he was he was very well connected in Cleveland, Ohio. And he, I believe, when I looked into the history of it, and I had to go back and check. I he had probably I think it was something like twenty twenty five different buildings. He had built in um, Cleveland, and five or twenty-six, I believe, nineteen or twenty were still standing. Mm -hmm. and this is in the hundreds. Um, so yeah, you know, and as a lot of people know, with the the uh, the Freemasons, that when they when they build a prop a building or a location, they build it to contain energy. Mm -hmm. How this building was, you know, was you know kind of put together. Um, so once it, it was built, it had become a German social club. Um, a hospital uh, for several years. It sat vacant. It was also rumored, and I couldn't find anything, and I've heard this rumor many times from different people, but I couldn't find anything in the archives of being a uh, speakeasy during Prohibition. Mm -hmm. um, but once again, speakeasy, not like we're going to know about it, and is there going to be a lot of history? And is there going to be history on it? Mm. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, that's in the book as well. And then, you know, 1941 is when um, Mr. Wills took over the building and he turned, he moved the House of Wills from one location to that location yeah. where he actually uh, took that location over in 1941 
and ran it until 1971 when he passed away. And then it went to his family and it went into several years later into disrepair and disarray. And there's a lot of, uh, uh, Tom Fulry stuff going on, you know, you know, taking people's money and not, you know, performing the services and just, you know, just a lot of bad things behind the scenes. Um, and that went all the way up to the early 2000s, uh, where finally people started getting indicted and arrested and, uh, people were fleeing, running to Florida and they would get captured by the marshals and brought back for trial. And then the building sat vacant for several years until, uh, Eric Freeman purchased it. Um, and now he's the current owner up to this date. Yeah. I was watching an interview with him actually on YouTube and he's, he's a character, isn't he? Isn't he a wonderful character? He, I've learned, I, I, I've, um, I was always very leery of Eric and he probably knows that. And then I like I started writing this book. I did I actually interviewed Eric several years ago on my podcast. But um when I started writing this book, you know, I had to get permission to use the name of the company out of the building because he owns it and his name in the book. And uh, I actually sat down with him, you know, over a couple calls and you know, and talked to him for a long time. And uh I actually have a, a um, I I have a I'm very highly respectful of the man. Um, he, I think he's a little misunderstood mm. for his, yeah. That was the, I, that's the impression I got looking at his interview, that it would be very easy uh, to misunderstand him, especially because I know that I have actually interviewed someone on the house about the House of Wills before. I interviewed Dalen from the Ghost Brothers about yeah. it years ago. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the Ghost Brothers are very, very religious, very... Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously one of the things the House of Wills was reputed to use for was a satanic yeah. church. Yeah. Um, and that could possibly be one of the reasons why the owner gets people look at him as if he's bringing bad juju to yeah. the place. Yeah. Um, he, knows, he, he knows that. He, he understands his religion has brought all that on him. Mm. He's very, he's very aware of that. Um, but he, um, I don't, I, I don't, I think he's been demonized because, you know. He's the pun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my intended there. But um, I just think, yeah, that he's been demonized for, you know, his religion. And um, do I quite, do I understand it? No, I don't, all, I don't understand all of it. But uh, I, I have to respect his, his wishes and. And uh, I've never had a problem with him. He's always been a man of his word. And he's always, you know, what he says is, you know, he's held his word to. So that's how I, that's how I look at people. And that's how I hold people until I, you know, otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I know quite a few Satanists and they're actually some of the nicest people I've ever met. And genuine people as well. You know, like you say, what they say, if they say they'll do something, they'll do it. Um, but you were mentioning about the the fact that one of the things that I, I, I want to ask you is you've done all the research. When exactly was it built? Because I have seen some things that say it was built in 1846 as a German opera hall. Then yeah. I found the, the Cleveland documents that about um, Streibinger saying yeah. I, I saw the list of all the properties he was responsible for. That said he built it in 1898 and it was opened in 1899. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I, it's funny. <laughs> Have I hit something I, there? <laughs> I was just writing a whole article on my website just about what you just asked me. Um, right. You know, 
that I give people a, a look before the book, like I was like, you go into the records and the records when it comes to this building being actually built, mm. you cannot narrow it down. And I've spoken to many people and know it like one person will say 1856, this person will say 1847, this person says 1901. I'm like, okay, guys. So I come up with, I, I narrowed it down from what I could research and what I found to 1890. That's what I, that's what I came up with. Um, honestly, I don't know. I don't know when it was built. I know it was built before 1900. Yeah. Um, just by the the, the architecture, uh, but I don't think any and, and not just that, just because of the time frame that he was, you know, he was in his heyday in Cleveland, uh, building these, you know, these yeah. buildings. Um, but I came up around 1990, or excuse me, 1890, yeah. 1991, in that time frame. Uh, and even Eric Freeman, I spoke, when I spoke to Eric Freeman about it, he said he thought that sounded about right, yeah. uh, just from the things, you know, the, the, the things he's been able to find out. Yeah. He's actually been, you know, trying to piece it all together himself over the last, he's been in the building for 12 years now, 11, 12 years. And he's been trying to piece it together and he just can't get the answers that he needs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah now the nearest I, I'd say I got was a, this document that was from, I don't know what you'd call it, the like Cleveland, we'd, I'd call it the council, but it was the planning department and they showed the properties that Strybinger had been involved with and the dates that he yeah. worked on them. Plus I think from his age, if he had built that in 1846, he would have been about 18, 19 years old. Yeah, uh, I think that's, that's way totally possible. Way, then. Yeah, that's way off mark. I think it, at the earliest, I would say 1880, yeah. 1885-ish, somewhere in there. But I don't think he was, yeah, I, I think it's more around 1890. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, yeah, I, I say, I've seen that, that people cite that it was 1846 and it was opened as a German opera hall. So I thought, well, let's look at what the population was of that area back then. Yeah. And yes, there were by around 1840, the population of Cleveland was roughly 25% um, non-native born Americans. So they were, mm -hmm. a lot of them were European, but there was an awful lot of um, African immigrants. And um, it also said there was an awful lot of um, former slaves that had moved because yeah. it was a, it was a sort of free town, wasn't it? it would be, yeah, free, yeah. Um, yeah. But then what was interesting, it did say by 1850, 33% of the population was German. Yeah. Yeah. Um, East Cleveland especially was a German German neighborhood, pretty mm -hmm. much, East Cleveland. And then it had um, just past the, the turn of the century is when it, you know, 1930s, 40s, it started becoming an African-American. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it started kind of fading over to that. Um, so, yeah. I so I think it's fascinating when I see that the the sort of ethnicity of an area changing and it just yeah it just builds. But I mean the fact that the hall was a, an opera hall, place for people to sing, which you and I both know creates energy. At the end of the day, theatres tend to be very active, yeah. don't they? From the energy that creating music and how often I don't know if you do it, but I've done it before. I started singing on an investigation to try and the right. build the energy up. The fact that it was also for eight years a hospital of some yeah. sort is one of the reports. I don't know if that's true or not because I couldn't. I couldn't. That's, that's I the, could do. 
That is what I was able to come up with. It was a hospital. Um, and then it sat vacant for a few years after that. And that's when it became, that's when uh, Mr. Wills took it over in 1941. Well, it also said at one point it was a Hebrew Institute. That was something. Yeah, but I don't think that was for like only two years. Right. It was a very short period. And that's yeah. in the book. But I mean, there's not a whole lot to talk about there. It's just mm. like, it's a Hebrew Institute. But I, I'll come on to why I find it interesting, all these different things that it's yeah. It's a lot of, the, it's, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a lot of hats. And when yes. you think of the, the, the Wills family, the, the funeral directors, for want of a better term, they didn't have it lucky with their premises, did they? I mean, they they take on one and then get told that's being knocked down to be built on. So right. they take on another one on the same road, I think, East 55th Street, is that what it's called? It, yeah, they have to leave that one. Yeah. And then they go into what we know of as the House of Wills. Yeah. It's almost like fate was pushing them there. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> I mean, just the name alone, Wills. I mean, because a lot of people, when they, they, they hear the House of Wills, the first thing comes to being it's a funeral home, they're thinking of like a will and testament. They're not thinking, yeah. you, know, you know, his last name was Wills. And then you explain that to him and it kind of, it falls in line, but uh, it's it, it's it's so many it, it, there's there's so many different avenues with this whole thing and so many different layers with it. And there's you know there's documented deaths, there's undocumented deaths, there's all kinds of things that happen on this property even after it shut down from being a funeral home in the early two thousands. You know, there's been several murders there. It's a bad. It's a really bad part of town. Is it, is it actually as bad as like like Galen told me it was he, he said you know I'm a black man and I was scared that's yes. what he told me when I went there I had my I, I have my concealed carry I had my sidearm on me at all times really yeah it's 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 really bad you know okay you're talking I buys and things of that nature yes well we see we don't get stuff like that here well if we do it's once in a hardly ever Right. Um, so that's quite a sort of ooh. um so it's almost like what's outside the house is scarier than what's inside or there's a lot of bad energy a lot of bit and, and and that's in the book um that's one of the things that's in the book because there was the incident you know that happened you know five six years ago where um a community leader and i didn't and i i didn't use a name i have a name but i never i didn't put it in the book mm -hmm. Um, in that area, tried to blame all the bad things from East Cleveland on the House of Wills. That it, the evil of East Cleveland was because of the House of Wills. And they went there and they tried to burn the property down with Eric in it. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a full-on, like, almost a war that went on where it got so bad, the local news, Cleveland News, had to come in and set these guys down, Eric and this this local leader, and um, and kind of hash it out on an interview. And and was uh, that because of Eric's religion? Yeah, his, his beliefs, right? So that they, I mean, all the bad, all the drive-bys, all the drug abuse, all the 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 homicide and whatever you know, rapes, murders, blah blah blah, was because of the House of Wills. Um, and yeah. That was uh, that was a pretty interesting time period right there, you know, five years ago, and you know, I, I got the the full you know download from Eric on the whole thing. I'd heard about it, um, 
it happened not long after I left there when I was there. Uh, and I got the, the full download from Eric, you know, about what happened that night and everything. It's in some of it's in the book. Yeah. So what I could put in there is in there. Wow. Yeah. I, I didn't know that. There's layers. <laughs> it's, layers. it's crazy. It's, it's, it's a movie. It, it's, it's, I can, that's all I explain. It's a, it's a movie. It's just so much craziness between the paranormal, between the occult, between the, the, the gang related stuff, you know, with, you know, East Cleveland, um, with the layers of history here and all the paranormal stuff and it all combined like this. And you have this massive ball of energy there. It's the only place I've ever explained that I felt was not haunting was not haunted, but it was the haunting. It was a living entity itself. It's the only building I ever walked into where I felt like the building was alive. And I'm not the, and the crazy thing is, I'm not the only one who explains it that way. I know of dozens of people who have been there and explained the exact same way. People I've never met explained the exact way I explained it. The energy of that building, it feels like it's a living organism. Right. And you know, it's like it's like the heart of maybe that neighborhood and everything pulsates through it. And it just puts out this energy and it just kind of like almost like a energy vampire where it just, it just sucks all that negative energy out of the area. That's the analogy I was going to use actually, like an, almost like an energy vampire. So does Eric feel he's changed since he lived there? Yeah. Oh yeah. He'll he'll admit to it. He's, he'll admit that he's addicted to it. He was drawn to this. He was in the only reason he ever knew about the location was he would drive past it every day. Um, and he was drawn to this building because it sat vacant. The, the city owned it, and they're actually getting ready to tear it down. And he didn't let them. Like he's like, I have to stop this. And he put the, got the money together to buy the building. And um, he's in California, it, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's from California, and, and the building was in disrepair, and and you know it had been sitting for you know seven or eight years. So people had vandalized it. They went in and they stole the copper and all, anything that was worth anything to build, and they had taken. Um, the roof was leaking, so there's water damage. And uh, he went in there and he uh, he dropped his last few dimes on it, mm-hmm. purchased the building, and has been dealing with it ever since. It's a it's a it's a love for him. So. You've just blown me the questions I was going to ask. Okay. Um, So I talked about, you know, we've mentioned about the fact that it was built by a Masonic architect, for want of a better term. It's had Judaism practiced in it. Mm -hmm. It's probably had whatever religion talked about when it was a hospital. Because I know there, there is a Hungarian church not far from it, that whatever their, their religion is. Right. Um, it would have had German singing. Then it's a funeral home with whatever religion the people who were mourning yeah. lost. Primarily uh, Baptist, yeah. And then you've got the the Satanism side, and I'm not yeah. judging because I don't right, right. things like that. It's it's all just different stuff to me. But then what's really strange is when I've looked photos, and I've not been fortunate enough to go there, I've looked at photos, there's loads of other symbols 
everywhere. You've, you've got the Egyptian stuff, for example. How much energy can all this mysticism be creating? And, and you know, it, it, it's it's almost as though someone did make a deal with someone incredibly spiritually powerful mm -hmm. to keep it running. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that's how that's how I explain it in the book, and that's how I explain it, it as uh, it's a location that um, it keeps itself alive by by finding someone to basically steal their energy and for it to use their energy for for however it wants. That's how I explain it. Like, so it's got its hooks into Eric. Eric has taken over the building, and now it's his baby. So it's he's like he's the steward. The building's a living organism. It's going to do it, but he's keeping it alive. He's like you know he, he's putting the money into it. He's he's giving it all he has mm. every day of the week, seven days a week. This guy is killing himself to keep this building going. Um, and yeah, it's that's and I feel like it probably did the same thing to Mister Wills and whoever for that. I was uh, going to ask. Yeah, so. Say that this that this building has been created and it has it, it has and I do get what you're saying about I I've I, I've only experienced a couple of places where I felt it's the building that's alive, not the people within it. Right. But that's not been a negative feeling; it's been more of a protective feeling to right. it. But say it does almost whatever entity is is creating the heartbeat. And it finds someone that it thinks it can pull in, and it pulled in John Walker Wills. I've not found anything negative about him. In fact, everything I found about yep. him was very positive. He very was positive. he was he was a pioneer. He was a very strong yep. member of the community. I think yep. he he would give free funerals for people who really couldn't afford to bury their loved ones. All that I, kind of thing. I think maybe he kept it. He was able to keep it, you know, contained. Yeah. That's what I was going to suggest. And then maybe his subsequent relatives and um, the, the ones who stole the money and whatever, they weren't able to cope with the power that this entity has. And no. it kind of, without sounding corny, it pulled them to the dark side as opposed to the power being right. the good. Exactly. You would... It, it, I I completely agree. I, I it tried to do that to me, and I was only there for thirteen hours. Right. It, 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 what it does is, and, and what I've seen just watching it, it it'll it'll pick like no matter what the group is, whoever they are, it'll pick the alpha and try to pick them and 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 and, okay. and basically take them out or use them because it knows they're the strongest and use their energy. Because they know if it can control, if it control them, they control who's below them, and uh, it's it's all. That's how I wrote it in the in the book, and you know, I try to I explain it better than that. How you know, it feels like it's it like whatever's there, it's a community. Like okay, you got the the hierarchy, and there's you know, there's tiers mm -hmm. of of these, you know, entities that have, you know, built up over the years, you know, the last 100, 150 years, whatever, 
have come in. Some of them are from there, some of them are not, and they get drawn to this. And once they get in there, they're part of this community that, you know, whoever this the higher energy is that's there, it's controlling all of them. And I think it tries to do the same thing with, with humans. Because I've seen it do the same thing with Eric. I've seen it do the same thing with Patty. And Patty's in the book. She's written in the book. She's um, She was the caretaker. Um, she's the per- first person I met from there. And she's the one who kind of, like, she was there before Eric took over the building. Like she had known, she knew, she knew the location and then she went over, she stayed, tried to keep it up and, you know, and she loved it. And then she saw the change over that time period when Eric took it over and she saw the energy switch, like from good to like from a calming to a, a very uncalming type energy that was, uh, more turbulent and um this wasn't the same it just changed could could that be the female versus the male because i mean you know no disrespect to yourself but men tend to think with their fists they don't tend to be more as nurturing in i'm generalizing here but if she'd been looking after it and when eric was attracted to it it is almost like more of a male energy in I mean seeing how that that guy reacted to it the one who tried to burn it to the ground Mm -hmm. you don't tend to find women doing that sort of thing it tends to be a male testosterone kind of right right so maybe there's more than one entity in the building Um, oh definitely there definitely is. There's there's layers there. There's like I said. There's more. There there's a there's a hierarchy. There's so there's a there's a really strong energy there that runs the, the show. But he also there's people there's ones underneath him that kind of do the bidding. Mm. They're doing all the running around. Some of them might do their own thing. Who knows? But there's these different layers, and it's just like in they. I think the building itself is the energy and. Everything inside of it is just like living its own world and doing its own thing and, and just trying to pull energy and, 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 you know, good or bad from every direction it can. And for anybody who enters that building or the people outside or whatever, yeah, people, it's funny because I explained it in the book and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm not the only person, once again, eyewitnesses to this whole thing. People like in that neighborhood, they won't even walk in front of the building. They they cross, they'll walk down the sidewalk. And I'll say I've sat there and watched and walk down the sidewalk. And when they get to within you know, a couple hundred yards of that building, they'll cross the street to go past it. Okay. Yeah. I've seen that in person several times, and I'm not the only person who's seen it. It's it's pretty intense to watch. So is it all it's almost like it's a safe haven for spirits? It's yeah, it's a safe haven for some. Do you know what's just made me think? Have you seen the John Wick films? Which were the any of them? Any yeah. John Wick, the John Wick films. Oh, John have, Wick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they have the Continental Hotel where people are hit, people can go, and as long yeah. as they don't conduct business on there, they're safe and they're fine. Right. It's like it's the Continental, and I'm not actually laughing. It's like it's the Continental Hotel almost for spirits. Right. Because they're safe there. Um, maybe it's like, say, nastier spirits who 
kind of need to recharge and they know they can come there because hey we are recharging facility it's it's strange that it's so makes me wonder what was on the site before yeah guy with cleveland i mean that area most of ohio was native american very strong Mm. native so. so what's it what's what's either been channeled there why and right. you know i personally don't think it's eric's religious beliefs that have caused it i think it was around long before oh yeah um i mean it's but what without giving away your book what are some of the more kind of eye-opening experiences you've had there at the House of Wales? Uh, I mean, I'll give you one example. Um, when we were investigating there, uh, we had we had went down like there's these there's a basement and there's a sub basement. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got you got a basement in the basement, which is weird. I know, I get it. Um, we went down to this basement, the first basement, which is at one time it seemed the way it was laid out was like a more like a viewing type room for viewing, you know, right. casket that nature. And it's very huge room. People don't realize how big this place is. It's very big. It's like a maze. And we were in this area. We're investigating. There's myself and three investigators. They're all in the book. Uh, you have Keith. Uh, Greg and Stephanie, they were the investigators in the book with me. And there's a point where I'm standing there, and this is July. This is July in in the States. It's hot. I mean, it's like at night, it's in the 90s in some in, in places. And, you know, in Ohio, it's pretty hot. So um, it's 90 degrees. We're down in this basement. There's no, there's no heat. There's no AC. There's nothing in this building. There's no power in this building at this point. Down in the basement, and um, I started feeling weird. Like my stomach started feeling weird. I'm like, oh, what, what is this? What's going on? Next thing I know, you could see my breath. It's 90 degrees, mm-hmm. 85 degrees. You should not be able to see my breath. Um, and I'm feeling weird. Like you could see. Like, you know, if it was like 20 degrees outside and everybody in the room can see it, they're like, they're signing flat. It's like, what, what's in their chat? You can't see theirs. You can only see mine. And within, you know, a couple minutes of that, I started getting a little freaked out by it. I'm like, okay, I got to get out of here because I'm not feeling good. I want to go outside. So um, I, we started walking up the staircase um, leading up to the, the second floor or the first floor, excuse me. And, um, Greg and Stephanie are on the top of the landing. I'm here, and Keith is here with a camera. He had a video camera on me, and I'm, you can just tell I'm, I'm, ir- I'm like getting agitated. Like I'm getting really agitated, and I, I start yelling like, "Whatever you are, get off me!" And as soon as I say that, you see this black, like ball, like mass shoot out from me and go into the wall, and then I feel better. Like it went away as soon as that happened. Like you couldn't see my breath anymore. My stomach, the the pains in my stomach went away. I didn't feel like I was freezing, like I was shivering. I felt nothing. Like it was something like something was trying to take me over. Something was on top of me. Um, that's an example. Of, and that was all within the first couple hours of being there. Wow. Yeah. 
And Eric lives there. At the time, he did not. Right. He, he, he moved in for a while with him and his girlfriend, from what I understand. And, but they do not live there present day. No. Right. It got too dangerous for them to, to stay there. Yeah. Well, well, because of the locals. Yeah. Wow. I'm looking forward to reading this book, sir. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> wow. I'm looking it out there you tip so everybody can see it people are excited about it yeah yeah definitely definitely wow well i could i could talk to you for ages because it's a fascinating subject but i i want to leave it so that people buy it by the book so make sure you you follow daryl on facebook um when the book does get released i will tag it on haunted histories as well for people um and as i said you you can come and meet Daryl if you come along to the festival of festival of the unexplained in the UK at Bosworth Hall on the fifteenth to the seventeenth of September. Day tickets are still available, and yes, I will be there too. In fact, I think we might even be sitting next to each other, Daryl, or you're behind me. I can't remember in the main hall. I've seen the layout. I'm not, I'm not sure how it is, but yes, I can't wait. It's going to be fun. It's going to be good. Yeah. It's going to be good. And say, you, you'll be getting to investigate the hall on the Thursday night. And um, I've written a book about the place, so I'm there as... Really? Kind of, Check it yeah, out. Yeah. To help people Great. help people out are doing the investigation. It's uh, it, I don't think it's going to freak you out like the House of Wills does, right. but it's definitely got some gnarly characters who like to make an appearance every so often. And uh, a lot of them don't like women who speak up for themselves. Oops. Hey. So, yeah. Is, well, give me. I mean, just and before we go, just to let people know too. I mean, the, the the horrors of the House of Wills is not just being categorized as paranormal; it's being categorized as horror and occult as well. Brilliant, so, brilliant, and the history as well. And the history, yeah, yeah. There's a little bit of history in there. Well, <laughs> Do a little bit. Well, thank you ever so much for taking the time out. To speak to me, Daryl. It's now half past eleven in the UK, um, yeah. and uh, so I, I am going to be calling it a night very, very shortly. But do follow Daryl. Obviously, you know, support what he's doing, and make sure you get a copy of his first book when Thank it you. comes out. Thanks ever so much, Daryl. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Have a good evening. Sleep tight, and don't worry too much about things that go bump in the night.